Hello, good Timothy. How are you this fine evening, let's say? Oh, please, please. You can call me Mothy, Mothy. Uh, for short, yeah. Uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing pretty good. I just call good. you the thigh? <laughs> the thigh? Yeah, Tim. Oh, thigh. yeah. Just yeah, call yeah, you yeah. the thigh. That sounds like a good name. <laughs> I like it. Thigh. Thigh. Uh, hmm. um, <laughs> so you're going to Ottawa for some, to give some speech to a bunch of statists. That's my understanding. Why don't you tell me a bit more about uh, what's actually, what, what this uh, thing in Ottawa is? Yeah, so I am, I'm going to a, I've been invited to a rally. I kind of got, uh, uh, publicly called out on Twitter because uh, <laughs> Maxime Bernier has been invited to speak, and, and you know the the tweeter, the tweeter, yeah, I guess that's the right word. The tweeter said Twitter. Um, Maxime Bernier is the only politician supporting this. What what about you, Tim Moen, or whatever? And then he, uh, I'm like, uh, well, thanks for the invite. Uh, I'll try to make it. And then uh, he messaged me and said, hey, if you're serious, uh, we'd love to have you speak. I'm like, uh, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm serious. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they're they're hoping to have uh, fifty thousand people. I looked at their web page and um, what's the name of the organization? Uh, the no, I'm event? trying. Let me let me just find it real quick here. It's on my Twitter. It is uh, Forum for Canadian Sovereignty. FFCS dot info. FFCS. FF Sovereignty. So it's an anti-globalization globalism. Right. Yeah. So here's what they stand for. They, yeah, they are, we are the only think tank forum in Canada that is dedicated to educating, informing and enlightening Canadians to the destructive forces of globalism. Globalism is based on the socialist communist ideology of global governance as a collective incorporating the policy of redistribution of wealth, blah, blah, blah. So that's good. I I can get behind that. I can get behind that as long as they're clear in what is globalism, what is not and right. And then, then right. Their, their next three points are uh, nationalism, advocacy of or support for the political independence of a particular nation or people. Okay. Get behind that. Patriotism, the quality of being patriotic, devotion to and vigorous support for one's country. Mm, yeah, starting to lose me a little bit there. I, I'm not, it's a little bit collectivist for me, but, and then sovereignty, the authority of a state to govern itself or another state. Um, Okay, well, that one is for another state. Then how is that? Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't really understand that one. Clear to me, patriotism. It's like I, if you're patriotic about a country's values, I understand it, but definitely not like this idea of like blind rah-rah patriotism. And nationalism is also, you know, a troublesome term, at least not necessarily in how they use it, but. Um, again, yeah. like nationalist, why I should buy Canadian milk or Canadian products, right? Yeah, I don't even agree with that necessarily, right? Um, right. And so part of my worry is, okay, what, what am I going to have to say here to these people if I'm interested in connecting with the audience, giving them something that they can cheer about, but also something that maybe challenges their thought a little bit and and how, you know, maybe globalism isn't isn't um, necessarily it's not not just fundamental issue. It's not the fundamental issue, right? Maybe statism or something like that is, and whether it's a jackboot from someone at the UN or a jackboot from my neighbor, still a jackboot, uh, proximity doesn't give them any more right to, to stomp on my freedom than someone at the UN. And the only reason that the UN or any of these other organizations, 
um, have any say is because of my own government, right? My own right. government is giving, is, is you know, like I, I've told someone. The power is abstracting right. up from somewhere. So it's like, well, you have to cut it off at the root. Where right. are we giving before it's too late, let's call it, right? Yeah, like there's this UN Agenda 21, and I think there's another one called 2030. And I read a lot of it, and it, it basically has to do with, you know, environmental standards and progressivism and all this stuff, and the recommendations that they recommend uh, UN members implement, right? And it's usually done at the municipal level. Like quite often, a lot of these implementations are done at the municipal level. And so that is taken as, well, these globalists are controlling us. Well, no. Are they really controlling you or is it really your town council that's controlling you? And maybe yeah, you should, maybe I what think, we should focus on is limiting the government. Cause if we limit the government, then that UN agenda 21 thing just becomes like a gardening manual, like a recommendation. Right. And that's that what it, it should be. I no, think there's yeah. value in globalized in international like bodies of thinking, right. That just sure. provide recommendations and then people and corporations can each decide yeah, is this is this worth? Yeah, and and this is part of you know I, I see a lot of support for this uh, CPC leadership candidate Derek Sloan. You know he's going to clamp down on immigration and he's going to get rid of the globalists and he's going to get us out of Agenda Twenty One. But my question is, what's he going to do about the income tax? Right? I mean, that's my primary concern right now. The government is is stealing half my income, marching my kids off to school, oh, like doing, you know, like what what is. What about my immediate threat right now? And my government is my immediate threat. They're taking my guns. They're taking my money. They're, they, they're telling me I can't even have lawn darts in, in my backyard. Um, I mean, what, what, are, what is some bonehead at the UN doing to me right now so compared to is- what my government's doing? Right. Like, why aren't why are we missing out what our own government's doing and why are we so patriotic towards this force that is destroying our lives and creating chaos and destruction right here, right now? Why is our government somehow intrinsically good, but a bigger government wouldn't be right. But right. um, Yeah. and And I think I mean, I'd be more concerned of this topic generally if I was in the EU. Right. Because that's actually like they're trying to just abstract and create more layers of broader power, right? Um, And But the UN is pretty like lame duck still. Like the actual globalist agenda through through actual means isn't making much traction in my uh, view, right? We're not much closer to a one world government than 20 years ago as far as I understand it, but... Well, I mean, I can see some of their points here. I mean, there are certain things that are going on. I mean, certainly the climate change agenda and all these other things are trying to create these things. You know, Canada would just try to get a security, a UN security seat. Uh, and yeah. like, they certainly are trying to impose uh, or, or trying to create one world governance. And the whole idea is right. Like to have a one world government, you need a one world police force right? Government is forcing people to do things. And so, uh, you know, right but they, now, but they'll, they'll use our own police force, right? I mean, these people will argue and, and there's some truth to it that look, your municipal police right now are implementing UN agendas. Right, and but they're choosing to at the municipal level, right? So right. they still have the free, like there's no coercion on them. It's again, like you said, right. the statism is still local. Right. Yeah. The issue is still fundamentally uh, closer to home, I think. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's, a, it's, to me, it's like a distraction. It's like, okay, that, that, that's cool. There's some nefarious people out there that if they had their way, we'd be under a global jackboot and right. doing things. But look, we're under a jackboot right now. It's right on our neck. And you're asking the people that are putting that jackboot on your neck to not to protect you from these people that are an abstract threat over there. Like, why don't you deal with the people with the jackboot on your neck right now? I don't remember the exact framing of the movie, but it makes me think of Braveheart, right? Like, they're not actually fighting for freedom. They're just fighting for, like, the Scottish taxes over the English taxes or something. Right, right. right. And so it's like the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And and so, you know, what I'm trying to do now is, is think of, okay, what are... What what should my speech there be about? How can I construct this, and how can I connect with these people in a way that um, that uh, you know that validates some... that the giant global state is bad? Screw those people! Rah rah rah! But also the principle at play is why don't you want a global state? And think about well, why is the national state better? Right? Like what's right. really going on? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't so, I, yeah, I want to redirect them towards the the general cause of statism rather than just global statism. We want to fight uh, national so statism I, as well. What I want to push back on you on generally is something that we've talked about in the past: is are you too open minded? Right? Are these people like worth your time? And I don't know enough about this organization, yeah. but we've said like you know you befriend fascists, you befriend other people because the hope is to save some souls potentially still. And maybe it's that, right. you know, uh, past wiring. But do you think from your impression of this organization, are they actually open to solving their problems? And this happens to be what they think a big problem is, or it's kind of dogmatic because a lot of these organizations like the anti-globalism uh, that I've encountered is quite dogmatic. So do you think it's worth your time and effort? Um, yeah, I mean, I, they're hoping to get 50,000 people. I, I highly doubt they'll get that many people, but mm. it sounds like there'll be a decent crowd there. And I have to believe that there'll be some liberty-leaning liberty people there, right? I, I didn't know I was a libertarian until I started listening to, you know, some of Ayn Rand's old interviews and Penn Penn Gillette's uh, show and it took me down a rabbit hole and I was like, man, all this stuff makes sense. And I, it resonates with me. And and so I I think if there's some people out there where my message resonates with them and they, they become more philosophically grounded because of that, then I think that's a good thing. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not under any delusions that I can change the minds of some died in the wool status patriot, someone who's patriotic to our state, let's say, that um, that that liberty is the answer. I mean, they, they want an authoritarian government by daddy uh, more than they want um, anything. And so th- those people, I doubt I'll be able to change their mind. But, you know, I think that bad ideas need to be challenged, especially when you have an invitation. If, uh, if a pastor invited me to speak at his church, I would take the opportunity. So I think whatever opportunities present yourself to help disabuse people of bad ideas, uh, I'm, I'm a big believer that you try to take them. Um, and you know, even if it's, if it's hopeless and if nothing comes out of it, well, I'll have learned (laughs) to direct my efforts at something else rather than that. But I mean, this is the reason why we podcast too, I think in part is to get some of these ideas out there and and reach an audience. And if there's uh, you know, if if we knew that our words could reach 50,000 people at one time, 
what could we say that would, that would have most powerful impact, I guess is. Yeah. And I mean, I suppose that's a difficult thing, right? The, the whole, how to communicate properly. I'm excited to be learning more about that, at least from the objectivist system of thinking soon. I've read like the art of nonfiction by Ayn Rand, which I think really helped me at least organize my thinking, not how to kind of distribute it and what's the best way to communicate it broadly, but at least to kind of organize it and structure it. And yeah, I'm interested in your thinking on this because I very much only been focused on, well, if I'm having a conversation that I find valuable, that's it. And then, you know, if someone else finds it valuable, sure. But I'm going to slowly be shifting to, you know, how do I actually cater a message for communication, for spreading the gospel, let's say. So it's, yep. uh, it's interesting uh, to think about. Yeah. And I mean, you know, someone recently gave me a bit of feedback that said, you know, you like, I hope you stay on as party leader, Tim, you're the best person for the job. And, you know, I, I think that you're, you know, the most intellectual libertarian or politician that we have in Canada. But he said, sometimes you're too, yeah, sometimes you're too intellectual. You need to be more emotional. And so that's kind of been sitting with me a little bit. You know, I, I do need to, especially at this rally, I need to reach people at an emotional visceral level and mm-hmm. um, you know, but I need to do it in a philosophically grounded way that, yeah. that, you know, challenges them or, or attracts them to uh, the philosophy of liberty, let's say. Well, that's interesting because that's what I've been really focused on thinking about for the last few months, at least, and in particular, the last three, four weeks, is how do I kind of intellectually incept into someone's emotions so that they access right. them? Because it's also if they're not in an emotional state, like as emotional as you can be, they won't be receptive. And so it's like, how do you actually get that to happen in a discussion show and more broadly and i mean the most powerful people are the ones who can stand up in front of a crowd of twenty thousand and move them emotionally right like that's so powerful and so it's like what like like there must be mechanisms there are principles at play and i'm really trying to understand that so it would be interesting next next time we record maybe you can have a a draft or have some talking points and and we can see how they resonate because i'm really trying to figure out how to get into the emotional part um, from an intellectual mechanism as well, right? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things that I always try to remember, I can't remember who coined this phrase, but it's it, something like people won't remember, uh, uh, won't care what you have to say until they know that you care. Right. And so, right. um, you, you know, I think it's important to open with, okay, what are my audience's biggest concerns right now? What is on their mind? What is causing them anxiety? What what do they care about right now? And really empathize with that and connect and then connect my message to what they care about. Yeah. And I I think, uh, you know, another quote that comes to mind is like, people won't remember what you said. They'll remember how you made them feel. And that's not like a heavily emotional thing. It's true, right? Like when you say something and it triggers something in me, that not like I'm triggered, but like it triggers an emotional, it's not just like an intellectual discussion. That's much more memorable, right? You remember the moments that you were feeling joy, you were really in the moment. Um, And it's interesting, because again, just for the past few weeks, in objectivism, it's kind of not focused on by the average person. But as I've studied it more, what it really tries to focus on is values and the value orientation, and how every emotion you have is actually an intellectual value judgment at the base. And so really understanding that, and that's also like the deeper part of your psychology is what are those things that you fundamentally value? 
And so it's about trying to understand mm. how to identify what the values are and talk directly to those, to that part of the brain, which is quite difficult. But um, that's where the, the money is, right, is, is getting into that. And it's especially hard because, you know, we talked in another episode about how people are kind of just trained by the culture around them. And so it's like they're, they're hidden. They can't even necessarily access their own values, right? And that's the kind of issue with a lot of people's mental health and, and their well-being generally is they've been so overly programmed that they can't even yep. access their own values. And so how do you help trigger that? And, and that triggers the emotional sensation, I think. So I've been yeah, really no, diving into the, the idea and that helps it. That's kind of the connection between the intellect and the emotions is values. What values do they actually hold? That is the connection and that's the, what to access. Uh, Cause you can't, you can't use your emotions to think about how to access their emotions. You have to use your mind, right? Um, you have to think about it. And so it's about uh, the values they hold is the, is the money. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's right. And, um, you know, I expect people will be angry, they're fed up, they, you know, this has a lot to do with the lockdown, and people being upset by that, their economic, and certainly, I can find stuff to resonate with the audience on that. I'm as frustrated and upset about the lockdown as anyone, um, you know, and then I focus it, especially for people who are scared of globalism. Like the sure. pandemic, right? Is is a, right. the whole world is listening, right? The WHO, and so I can right. see how that could particularly trigger uh, anti-globalists. Absolutely, yeah. I suspect that that will be a major theme. There is the WHO and all these international bodies that are um, putting out recommendations that our government then adopts and imposes on us without thought, basically without thought. And um, certainly, there's a lot to be said about that. I think, I think, I don't think I'll have a problem connecting with these people, but it will be interesting. I mean, what part of my anxiety too is um, I'm worried that there's going to be some shitheads there that I don't want to be associated with. Right. right. Well, that's, and risk. yeah. And how will that look? You know, there's old Tim Moen who's uh, you know, applying for chief jobs here and there and like, uh, <laughs> standing up at this rally of, you know, it's kind of right. like the yellow vest rally or the, you know, there's, there's a few people in there that ruin it for everyone else. And, uh, right. But that's an issue with the culture and the way yeah. we view anything. Right. Um, yeah. and cause it's a double standard. I mean, not to go down the rabbit hole, but like there's shitty people at the black lives matter movements and marches, but you know, God forbid we yeah. say all of the people in that movement are bad. So it's just a double standard depending on which side of the spectrum the movement's on, right? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it's still a legitimate concern if so, you know, if a future employer, yeah, yeah, 100%. employer Googles my name. I mean, they, they don't care about the double standard. It, they, no. they may even agree that the double standard sucks, but they're like, I, I can't risk having this guy in my organization in a, in a visible role right because, guy, yeah, yeah. Uh, cause of X, Y, and Z. So that's causing yeah. me a bit of anxiety, I, I must say. So, you know, I'll probably think of some, um, some, I don't know, some kind of strategy to ensure there's enough distance between myself and the, and the shitheads to, you know, I don't know. Well, good luck, Tim. Uh, yeah. I look forward to hearing how it goes. Yeah, me too. Thanks. Thanks, David.